find a seat. Um, we're going to get started. We have a guest speaker, Brother Dick, who's going to be uh, sharing with us this morning. He had a handout of notes when he came in. You know that's, he's a teacher, and you know he's serious about it if he's giving us a handout at the door. Um, but if you didn't get a handout, I have a couple ushers here. Raise your hand if you didn't get a handout and still need one, and uh, one will be brought to you. Brother Dick, come share with us. This is amazing grace. This is isn't it amazing. The grace of God kind of dawns on us, doesn't it? A little bit at a time. We just, he's so good. He's so wonderful. And again, I mean, just, I mean you can't look at that. Look at that, that hill. Look up at the hill. Can you see the hill? The colors? We were driving up, what was it? 20A, whatever it was, to, to get here from Geneseo. Amazing. It's like the trees are glowing. It's like, God, you're so cool. Like, those things glow in the dark. Some of those trees look like they might. They're so amazing. Just love this time of year. And when the days are sunny, the nights are cool, the 95-degree stuff isn't really happening too much anymore so I can breathe again, it's good. I want to talk to you about grace, the grace of God, illustrations of grace. First of all, I bring you greetings. I bring you greetings from the fellowship, Elam Fellowship, and I bring you greetings from the Bible school, and I want to recognize some of my family right over here. Margie is here. She's been here before. And my daughter, one of four daughters, I have five kids, four daughters, Debbie, Luke, her husband, which I think you probably know Luke. You know Debbie probably as well as I do because she spends a whole lot of time over here. And my granddaughter, I have several, but this is one of them. Esther, would you just wave at people? Would you stand up a second and show them how cute you are? Yeah, that's Esther. She's beautiful. So seven pictures. I want to give you seven pictures about the grace that God has for us. Now, 1 Corinthians, and this is in your notes, 1 Corinthians 15, 10 this concept, this, this, this discussion, or this, this uh, uh, what do I want to say? This concept, that's, that's a good word, of the grace of God is one of those pillars for a Christian. It's really important that you understand what God means when he says, I'm giving grace to you. I'm going to take, I'm going to give you seven, like a collage, like seven snapshots, illustrations and pictures of the grace of God. Now, we also need grace for one another. But that's a different sermon that you won't get out of me probably anytime recently or soon. But the fact is we need grace for each other. But I want to talk about how, how we need grace from God. So I'm talking vertical this morning. We could equi- take another half hour and do the horizontal thing because we need to have grace for each other. But I do want to tell you a little story. I can't quite escape that. Um, four brothers. Four brothers left home, went to college, and in time they became um, very successful doctors and lawyers. Now, their mother, who was aging, moved to Florida. And so for her 95th birthday, they all got together. Well, they, they all got her actually four separate gifts, but they each gave her something. Milton, her first son, said this. They were, you know, the four sons were discussing what gifts they had given to Mama. So Milton said, oh, I had a, a big house built for Mama. Michael said, And I had a theater put in that house, holds 50 people. Marvin said, well, I had my Mercedes dealer deliver to Mama a new SL600, which if you don't know, SL600 is a very nice Mercedes, very nice car. 
Melvin said this, well, you know how Mama used to love to read the Bible. You like the accent I'm coming up with? It's just a little bit of a, all right, this is, this is Mama. This is Melvin right now. You know how Mama used to love to read the Bible? You know she can't read the Bible anymore because her eyesight's not very good. Well, I met a preacher, and the preacher knows a parrot, and the parrot can recite the entire Bible. Now, it took about 10 preachers eight years to train this bird how to, to uh, do that, but now all that Mama has to do is name the book and the verse, and the parrot will recite it to her. That was a great gift. So, the following week, Mama from Florida writes back thank you notes to all of her four sons. To Milton, she said, Milton, the house you built is so huge, I can only live in one room, but i got to clean the whole house. Thank you very much. Michael, you built me a very nice home theater, but all my friends are dead. I've lost my hearing. I'm nearly blind. I'll never use it. Thanks anyway. Marvin, I'm too old to travel. I stay home. I have my groceries delivered to me. I never use the car. The thought was nice, but thank you very much. And then, dearest Melvin, you were the only son to have the good sense to give a little thought to your gift. The chicken was delicious. Thank you so much. $50,000. He had to, you know, donate all this money to get this, like, that's an, that's, a, that's an amazing chicken dinner. Now, I'm saying that to say this. Melvin needs grace for his mama because... It cost him a lot of money to get this bird. In any case, I want to talk to you about how we have received, and God gives grace. God wants to give grace to us. Seven pictures. Here's the first. Number one, God gave grace to us from eternity to eternity. In the Bible, Ephesians 1.4, here's the Amplified. In His love, He chose us in Christ, or actually selected us for Himself as His own before the foundation of the world. If you really think about what those words are saying, it'll curl your socks or do something to you. It's incredible. God chose us in Christ, selected us for himself as his own before the foundation of the world. Now, it was only after you were born, you see, that your parents and your family began to find out all about you, the wonderful stuff or the bad stuff or whatever. But the fact is, they only knew about you once you were born and once you were growing. God knew everything about you from eternity, from before time began, before the world was ever even here. Now, when I use the word eternity, eternity is a relative term. It's a matter of perspective. Because if you're a five-day-old infant, you have a five-day-old infant, and you could somehow communicate with this five-day-old infant about five years from now, to them, five years from then would be like an eternity. They can't imagine that, that you know, they see a five-year-old Older brother or something is like, wow, I'll never get that big. Well, you talk to a five-year-old, and you talk about 50 years from now, and to them it seems like an eternity. Several years ago, our oldest grandson talked to my wife, Margie, and uh, he calls her Nana. He said, Nana, how old are you? And she looked at Eli and said, I'm 50. And his jaw just like became like, oh like unhinged, like, Nana, you're so old. It's a matter of perspective. Some of us would love to be 50 again. <laughs> We've reached that milestone and gone on. 
It's hard to, for us, even as adults, to conceive of this fact that God actually does dwell in eternity. When I was growing up, I'm remembering this, when I was growing up, there were six kids in my family. I'm right about in the middle, in case you wondered. And I know that our parents loved us dearly, all six of us. But I remember them, I was kind of like behind, maybe I shouldn't have heard this comment, but I was behind the door or something, and I heard my parents talking to their friends, and, and they said, yeah, we know six kinds of birth control that don't work. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like, should I have heard that comment? <laughs> I don't know if I was a surprise baby or not. I know this, that I was not a surprise to God. I don't know where you are and what kind of a history you have, and if you're still dealing with the fact that maybe you don't even know who your parents are. You know what? God knew you before your parents' parents' parents were born. God planned for you. He, it, 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 it was, he did that from eternity. He planned for your existence. I said in your notes, you may have been a surprise to your parents. You were not a surprise to God. And I know that from the Bible. 2 Timothy 1.9 says he saved us and he called us with a holy calling, but not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and the grace that he gave to us in Jesus before the world began. He saved me and called me and did all that, but he gave me purpose. Purpose is the thing that he wants you to do in your life. It's the, it's, it's the thing you're called to do in your life. That's the purpose. God gave you that before the world began. But he also gave grace. What is grace? Grace is that which allows me to do the purpose. He gave me the grace but he, but so, so that I could accomplish what he wants me to accomplish in this life. But realize that both grace and purpose were given to you before the world began. But he said it's not according to our works. That means it wasn't according to any bad works that I did or good works that I did. It's not about works. It's about grace. He gave grace to you from eternity. You know what that means to me? And I hope it's going to mean to you. If it was from eternity, it means that there's no way that I can somehow do something bad enough to disqualify myself or good enough to qualify myself for God to either want to kick me out or God for Him to want to choose me. It wasn't about your works. It wasn't about the bad or the good. God simply reached down before the world began and already knew about you and shows you for himself. Now, I know there's a point where I need to say yes to him, and I choose him, but I choose him because I've already been chosen. I'm not going to get into the predestination on that one. But the fact is, it's true. I, I put in your notes, if God gave grace to us before time began, then our possession of that grace today cannot be based on anything that we did or did not do. I want you to see, this is the first point, God gave grace to us from eternity. He is, according to Psalm 90, verse 2, the Psalm of Moses, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. How long is everlasting? You go this way, like an, like an arrow that goes this way. How long does everlasting last? Ever. <laughs> I love words. From everlasting to, how long does this everlasting go? The same distance. In other words, there never God never not was. Is that true? Can I do a triple negative or something there? God always has been. There never was a time that God was not. So from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, on the basis of that, 
the grace that God had for me before time began in the everlasting of the past is the same grace that he'll have for you and me in the everlasting of the future. Because God can't change. It's impossible for God to change. I put this in your notes, I believe. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I do not change. God can't change. So who he was in the past, the everlasting in the past, how he felt about you then, the grace he had for you then will not be changed. It'll be the, he'll feel the same about you. He'll, he'll be the same God. Everything will be the same to the everlasting in the future. I find that to be security for me personally knowing that he's the rock that doesn't roll. He's the one thing in my life that does not change. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Well, which everlasting is that? The everlasting from the past or the everlasting from the future? The answer is yes. Exactly. He knew all about you then, he loves you then. He gave his purpose and grace to you then. And nothing's going to change. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. We are, God has given us rather, eternity or grace to us from eternity to eternity. Number two, we're made righteous by grace. Any farmers here? Any farmers? Anybody live in a farm? Work in a farm? Ever seen a farm? They're really cool. I, was, I basically was spent the first 10, 10 years of my life. You ever watched a calf being born? Put it on your bucket list. Would you just do it? Google it because it's, it, it's there. You can watch the whole thing. You can watch a calf being born. One thing I've learned from my experience on a farm, but also just watching since then, is that calves, when they're born, they don't come out all fluffy and pretty and soft with a little pink bow or a blue bow or something. There's only one word to describe a newborn calf. Slimy. That covers the wet, but it makes it even more so. Now, I heard a story. With, with that in mind, true, true story, a farmer had a cow. The cow was pregnant and expecting she was in labor, trying to give birth. Complications arose, and the cow died. But the calf inside was still alive, so the farmer did emergency C-section, got the calf out, but the calf wasn't breathing. So what did he do? He gave what could be called mouth-to-snout resuscitation. Remember the slimy part, all right? And a reporter, and, and, and of course then the calf breathed and began to kick and got up on his little wobbly legs and it was alive. Well, a reporter in town heard about this event, knew something about calves being born, knew about the slime factor, and he came out and said, I'm going to do a write-up on this guy he says to the farmer, how in the world could, how could you take your, 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 your mouth, your clean mouth, and put it on the slimy snout of a calf? The farmer said, little, little calf was valuable to me. Wanted to give it a chance to live. Sounds like a farmer doesn't want to give it a chance to live. And when I heard that story, I realized it's just what God did for us. His holiness touched the slime of my unholiness, and he reached out, this is grace, and he reached out to me and didn't like hold me at arm's length until somehow I was clean enough, but he reached to me where I am, where I was, because he loved us, he wanted to give us, just like the farmer and the calf, he wanted to give us a chance to live. 
so he didn't mouth to, well, I won't say snout. We're such a, in my case, it was mouth to grout. Uh, anyway, <laughs> just made that one up. Isaiah 61.10, this is how, this, this is how the um, prophet Isaiah feels about the fact that this righteousness has come to him. He said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord and my soul will be joyful in my God. Now, why is he saying I'm going to rejoice greatly and my soul is going to be joyful in God? He says, because he has clothed me with garments of salvation and he's wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. And then he uses what's called in English language a simile. He's wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Now, I have four daughters. My oldest daughter, Sarah, Debbie's older sister. When she was married back in 2001, we bought her the best wedding dress that we could, which I thought was, you know, pretty good. Pretty good. But we now realize four daughters in the house plus Margie, so there were lots of dresses. But this wedding dress, we used to call it the dress. Have you seen the dress? Because it was like on a shelf by itself. It was, it was expensive. No, it was gorgeous. It really was. So we gave to Sarah the best we had to offer in this. And what I'm hearing from the prophet, the reason he's rejoicing is because God has clothed him, but he's clothed us with his righteousness in the same way that a bride is adorned, which means he didn't throw hand-me-downs to you with this robe of righteousness. He gave you the best, the dress. 2 Corinthians 5.21, in your notes, the Bible says, Paul says, he made him who knew no sin... His name was Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, to become sin. He was the sin offering on our behalf so that we could, and watch the word, become the righteousness of God in him. What I find in that verse, which I don't understand this at all, was that Jesus, who knew no sin, didn't just take my sin or shoulder my sin. He became sin so that I could not just have his righteousness like a dollar in my pocket, like a possession that I have inside that I can take out and lose or leave somewhere. He said he became sin and there was a divine transaction that went on here so that I would not just somehow possess it like something in my pocket, but that I could become the righteousness of God in him. That means he didn't just change, he changed your nature. His righteousness became part. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this for you to realize this is what grace did. It allowed that transaction to happen so that you could be dressed on the inside. See, a bride at some point, she can't keep the wedding dress on for the rest of her life, but you're different. As the bride of Christ, you maintain a garment, if you will, a robe of righteousness on the inside that you never, ever have to take off. And you're adorned with his righteousness as a bride is adorned with her jewels. This is what grace has done for us. Picture number three. What's the difference between mercy and grace? This is an important piece to get in here. Because mercy and grace are often mentioned together in the Bible. Places like 1 Timothy 1-2, 2 Timothy 1-2. They both start with the same thing. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
or Hebrews 4.16, draw near to the throne of grace that we, that, we may, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Grace and mercy are often mentioned together, but grace and mercy are not the same thing. God gives them both, but they're a little bit different. Here's the difference. Mercy is when I don't get what I deserve. Can you think of times that you didn't get what you deserved? Let me give you a feel for what mercy feels like. By the way, it was your grandpa who taught me this. And it's just been over nine months, and we miss him. Grace and mercy. Um, where am I going? I got sidetracked. I'm easily sidetracked. Oh, what mercy feels like. You're driving through a small town, bigger than Warsaw, maybe bigger than Lima. Or not, small, let's, let's make it a small town, smaller than Lima. You ever been to Lima? You, well, you, put that on your bucket list, too. You need to visit Lima. We have our own stoplight. Right there, you see, we're, we're getting up in the world. But anyway, you're driving through a small town. You've never been in a small town. You know how sometimes, and they shouldn't do this, they allow branches of trees to grow over the speed, the speed limit sign? Come on. So you're driving through this small town, and the branches over the, because you know, they all know how fast you're supposed to go, but you've never been there before. So you're like, boom, right in the town, going 55. And at once, because you see him right there. The police is sitting right there. And you know he's got you dead to rights. You, you got caught. You got nailed right there. So you slow down to 20 real fast, like screeching. You're like you're doing penance now. Lord, if I go 20. And you're watching because you know that he saw you. You know that you're about to. And you can't afford, God, I can't afford the points, please. But you're slowing way down. You're driving. And your prayer life now is flourishing. <laughs> Jesus, please, just keep, just keep him back there. And you're driving, it's like, and you're looking in your mirror, and, 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 and he's not moving. It's like, oh, and hope, just a tiny flicker, a cloud on the horizon of hope begins to arise in your heart. Lord, let him be sleeping. Let him be eating a donut, and he didn't see his radar. Just somehow, Lord, keep him. And, and you drive through town, and it's like this, it's like this, this wave, this physical wave of relief. Like You're like tears, like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Because you know you deserve the ticket, but you didn't get it. And that feeling is the feeling of mercy. You know you deserve something, but it didn't come. Look at it this way. I put this in your, your notes in reference to grace. Here's the difference. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. Grace is when I get what I don't deserve. Look at the number line. You got minus 10 over here. You got zero in the middle, and you got plus 10 over here. Mercy and grace are different. Mercy is, mercy brings you from a minus 10 to a zero. In other words, you're not punished like you should be. You're not getting the punishment that you deserve. It brings you from minus 10 to a zero. But that's where grace picks up. And grace takes you from a zero to a plus 10 because grace is the blessing of God that you don't deserve. One we do deserve and we don't get it. One we don't, can I say this right? One we do deserve and don't get it. One we don't deserve and do get it. That's mercy and grace, and they work together. Now put this, this concept, or these concepts of mercy and grace together in the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. Listen to it this way. Mercy is this. Mercy is the prodigal son not being rejected, not being shamed, not receiving the tongue lashing that, the tongue lashing that he knew that he, he deserved from his father, not being made into a hired hand. 
When he was walking down the road from the pig pens coming home finally, he was rehearsing the speech. And what did the speech say? Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He knew that he deserved punishment. He knew that he, he deserved, he didn't, he knew that he did not deserve to, to again be reinstated to sonship. He just said, I want a place to hang out. I'm hoping that you'll feed me. I'll work for nothing. But what happened? Mercy was he didn't get the shaming, the tongue lashing, the rejection, and all of that. Instead of that, grace picks up. Grace is the father running out, running down the road, kissing him over and over again, um, loving him, accepting him, reinstating him to full sonship. The ring, the robe, the shoes, the banquet in his honor, that's grace. Do you see the difference? Mercy kicked in first, and mercy did its thing, and then grace picked it up from there, and, and the love and the blessing of the Father was poured out upon him. He knew that he deserved this and didn't get it. He knew that he did not deserve this, but yet he got it. And God is the God of mercy and the God of grace. It's his blessing. It's his undeserved favor. It's his kindness. It's his smile. Number four, isn't his grace amazing? He sang about it. Do you believe what you sang? I do. I led you in that, so I guess you were supposed to sing along with me, but thank you for doing it. But here's the fourth thing I want to give you about the grace of God. God causes His grace to abound to us. Now, I heard a little bird, and the, and the bird was just, actually, didn't hear him. I saw him. He was sitting on a branch, and he wasn't singing. Now, because I happen to speak fluent bird, I was able to go over and communicate with him. Don't trust me, you wouldn't get it if I spoke bird, so um, I'm kidding. Um, so I, I, I said, Bert, uh, little Bert, why are you not singing? And he said, um, I'm just going to translate for you now. He said, um, I'm, a, I'm afraid that I would use up all the oxygen in the atmosphere. Well, I knew a few things about the oxygen in the atmosphere. And in fact, I did some study before I went to talk to this bird. Here's what I learned. There's almost 610 trillion cubic feet of air in the atmosphere of our planet. That means 610 trillion cubes of air, okay? One foot by one foot by one foot. Average person breathes, you being an average person, there you are, wave your uh, average person, you breathe 388 cubic of feet of air per day. Now, if you were the only one on the planet and the oxygen in the atmosphere did not renew itself like it does every single day, remember the photosynthesis and the release of all that stuff? Okay, back to high school. All right, if you were the only person on the planet, it would take you personally four billion years to inhale all the air in the atmosphere of the planet. Now, you would you take up a whole lot more oxygen and air than a bird does. What am I saying? That was a cute bird story, but what is that about? It's this you could, you could no more use up the grace of God that has been allotted to your life, then that little bird could somehow use up all the air, all the oxygen in the atmosphere. You need to realize that when God gave you grace, it was in abundance. It was not like just enough to get by with rationing. If I just, if I don't sin and somehow I, I just kind of want, like a little card with punches and I don't have, you know, God gave you grace that is abounding. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 in your notes, in Him we have redemption, we have forgiveness according to the riches of His grace, which He's lavished on us. Now, you've got to get a couple key words here from the Greek. The word lavish in this verse 
means in excess, over and above, in abundance, more than enough, or overflowing. That's what the word lavish means. He lavished grace upon us. The other word you have to get is the word according. According, it says according to the riches of His grace. The word according means this, in proportion to. Now, let me give you a feel for that. If I was wealthy, and I said to you that I was going to give you a gift out of my riches, you could expect to get a few bucks. But if I was very wealthy and I said to you, I'm going to give you a gift according to my riches, which means in proportion to my riches, you are about to receive a very sizable check. See the difference? When God gives grace, it is not just out of the riches of His grace, it is according to, or it's in proportion to His grace. I put this in your notes. God gave us redemption and forgiveness, not out of the riches of His grace, but according to the riches of His grace. Look at it this way. If your life, let's say that your life is like one scoop of vanilla ice cream. There you are. It's your one scoop. Make it any brand you want, but that's you. One scoop of vanilla ice cream. For God to give to you out of the riches of His grace, you would get a, just a normal, moderate amount of Hershey's syrup. That's all. Cherry, whipped cream, that's it. But for God to give to you according to the riches of His grace, He would take your one scoop of vanilla ice cream life and He would bring out a 55-gallon barrel drum of Hershey's syrup. And He would pour the entire contents over your scoop, and it would be running across, out of the bowl, across the table, down the legs, up to your ankles. It would be wasteful. It would be lavish. That's the thought in the original Greek language when he says he has given us, lavish his grace upon us. And it's not an issue of just enough to get by. There is almost this wasteful aspect to it. God has given us a lot Redemption and forgiveness, not out of the riches of His grace, but according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us. I want you to see that clearly. It's part of the grace of God. Here's picture number five, illustration number five. Our hearts can be strengthened by grace. You know this verse. You've heard it before, 2 Timothy 2, 1. You therefore, my son, Paul said, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Notice, where does the grace come from? The grace is in Christ Jesus. He said, be strong in the grace, but the grace is not your son. The grace is that which belongs to Christ Jesus, which means that the strength that I need is not in myself. Are you hearing me this morning? He's not saying, buckle up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, something. Somehow he said, there is a strength that will come to you, but the strength is in the grace that is in Jesus Christ which means in the natural that I'm the one who's weak and he's the one who's strong. Does that sound like a little kid's song to you? Sing it with me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him be. Now watch. They are weak, but he is strong. Nothing's changed from the days that you were the ones being dismissed to go downstairs here. You're up here. It's because you got older. Now you're an adult. But the fact is, song still applies to you. 
It applied to you then, it applies to you now. We're weak in ourselves, and so the strength that we need comes from God, and it comes from specifically from the grace of God that's found in Jesus Christ. The Bible also tells me in Hebrews 13, 9, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Here's a couple different words here, key words in this verse in the Greek. The word good is the word useful or valuable. He said it's, it's, it's a valuable thing, it's a useful thing for you, for your heart to be strengthened by grace. Now the word strengthen does not just mean like, oh, be strong like boo. It doesn't mean just that. Strengthen also means to stabilize or to make steady. You ever, of course you have, washing machines. You ever done like a lot of towels or rugs and you put those things in there and it's washing away, but then when it gets to the spin cycle, if they're all over to one side and it starts going, tum, 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 and think there's a dance across the floor like that. Whoa, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. Because what, what's happening, your, your, your washing machine is, is, is bang, it's doing that because it's, it needs to be stabilized. It needs to be made steady. That's what this, this picture is in the Greek. This is what grace does for you. It's good for the heart to be stabilized or made steady by grace that God comes and the, the grace of God not only strengthens, but it stabilizes our out-of-balance lives. You have no idea what your life would be like if you have been a recipient of the grace of God. But if you remember what perhaps maybe some, some of you do, but I clearly do because I was 20, almost 20 when I got saved. I have 19 plus years of remembering that, an out of balance life. And I watched the grace. Now I still have moments where I'm like, bang, bang. But basically speaking, I'm, I'm in the midst of a miracle. It's, I know that I'm weak, and I know that it's the grace of God that gives the strength and gives the stability to my life to make me what I am. Matthew 11, this is from the message. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms. Of grace. There is an ease with which the washing machine spins and it just sits there. If it's balanced, everything's balanced and it's, the load is balanced, it just and it does that thing. And there's an ease with which your life can be lived. I'm not saying you'll never have trials, you'll never have issues, but the fact is when the grace of God is added to your life. It stabilizes. It brings an issue of stability that wasn't there before. Picture number six. Not bad. Six out of seven. We're moving along. Number six, the grace of God is like a rainbow. Now, what in the world does that mean? First Peter 1 Peter 1.6. There's two verses in Peter that use a Greek word, and this is the first one. Peter says, you have been distressed by various trials. He's talking to people who are being persecuted for their faith. Your faith, the same faith that you have. But he says, you've been distressed by various trials. The word various is the key Greek word here to get. It means manifold. You take a piece of paper and you fold it. Manifold or many-fold, it means you're folding it over and over again. You can do it up to seven times, I think. You can take any sheet of paper and you can fold it seven times, and that's it. It's kind of a 
interesting trivia, but there, you got it. All right. That concept of manifold or manifold, that's, that's, that's the word various, and also it, it refers to like the thought of a rainbow, very colored. He said the grace of God over here in 1 Peter 4.10, that we're stewards of the manifold or the very colored grace of God, which means it's the same Greek word that he used referring to trials back in chapter 1. He's saying that manifold or that very colored grace of God is present. You know what I learned from this? I see trials in the first chapter. I see grace in the fourth chapter. But both of them are described with the same Greek word. The trials, there are a variety of trials, different colors, different shades, you know. Does it make sense to you what I'm talking about here? You got different stuff. Maybe happened this morning. Like, didn't see it coming. Some, like, I almost, I just, something happens, like, ah, and it was a trial. Maybe a different kind of trial. But God said for every possible shade of trial you could ever go through, listen to this, there's a corresponding color of the shade of the grace of God that's designed specifically to match that trial. And I love the fact that God doesn't give like a one-size-fits-all. He gives grace. Yes, He does. But the grace He gives is specifically, what's the word? What is it? Tailored. Oh, yes. Thank you. Perfect. The grace of God is, is, is tailored specifically for you and what you're going through right now. And we don't know what tomorrow's going to hold as far as trials and tribulations and whatnot, but the fact is the grace of God will be there waiting with a shade that matches exactly what you need. 1 Peter 5.10, Peter wraps up the book by saying he is the God of all grace, every possible color of the rainbow. He's ready to lavish that exact shade of grace upon you for anything that you're going through at this time. All right, number seven. Picture number seven, illustration number seven. God's grace is expressed in His kindness to us. At our house, and probably at your house, at Christmas time we give gifts, and at birthday time we give gifts. Have you ever received a gift that you really didn't like? You ever receive something that's like, well, that was, hmm. Oh, you got me another purple tie, and this one has white elephants on it. Wow, you know, I believe I don't have a gift like this. I'm sorry for the sarcasm. But you ever get a gift that's like, I wish they had bought me that or something. I, if you just give me the money, and I'll buy my own. No, but they bought you a gift. Now, what you got to do is if that really messes you up. You get, your gift is like, oh, I wish they hadn't given me that. Give me a gift card next time. You need to get beyond the gift, and you need to look at the intention and the kindness and the love in the heart of the gift giver. Got to do that, especially with a purple tie with the white elephants, because you probably don't need another one. You've got a pink one with white elephants, but, you know, or something like that. But you need, you need to realize, you need to look beyond the gift and look at the intention and the love and the kindness in the heart, the motive behind the giving. That's what gives the gift value. 
Real value is not, can I use this with the ensemble that I have? Can I use this with my present wardrobe? Have I got to, you know, what really gives the gift value? You have to get beyond this, what can I do with this purple white elephant tie here? What gives it value to you is the love and the kindness and the intention in the heart, the motivation in the heart of the gift giver. Now, with that thought in mind, look at Ephesians 2. God raised us up with Christ seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that. Now, why did he do all that he did to raise me up, to seat me with Christ in the heavenly realms? Why? Here's the reason. In order that, in the ages to come. Are we living in the ages to come yet? No, this is now. The ages to come are the ages to come. Okay. I love this time warp stuff here. Okay. In the ages to come, he might show the incomparable or incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I want you to see the heart of God. Yes, God gives us grace. I've mentioned seven different pictures, but the fact is what I want you to see most of all in this last picture is the motivation in the heart of God for giving the grace that stabilizes my life. Forgiving grace like a, a bride adorns herself. Forgiving grace like that. Righteousness that came by grace. God, God his, the motivation in his heart was his kindness. Do this math lesson with me. You've heard it before. If A equals B, and if B equals C, then A equals C. Remember that stuff? I mean, you tried to forget. I just brought back a bad memory. Okay, well, the fact is, it's true. Here's A. God is love. Here's B. Love is kind. So what's C? God is kind. If there ever was a shred of kindness in any human being that you've, that you've known, the kindest person that you can imagine, that is a drop in the ocean compared to the kindness in the heart of God. This is what it says. It was the, he did all of what he's done in order to show us in the ages to come the riches of his grace, but it's expressed to us how we actually get the, the riches of his grace is expressed in his kindness. That's the bottom line. That's the feeling in his heart. He feels kindly toward you. He loves you. But love, this is more than just love. Love is patient, love is kind. But the fact is, he just, he, he is so kind, and that's why he's done what he's done for you. You know the hymn, My Jesus, I Love Thee? Anybody sing that? Probably not here. I mean, right, all right, some of you know it. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. Now the song goes on, it says, For thee all the follies of sin I resign. Then it says this line, My gracious Redeemer. I want you to see something, even in the inspiration of the songwriter from God, who said he, he could have called his Redeemer a lot of things at that point, as long as it was two syllables that would fit the song. But he said, my gracious Redeemer. He could have said, holy Redeemer. Why did he use the word gracious? How does a gracious person act? I gave you a definition here in your notes. Gracious is kind and pleasant and courteous and tactful and thoughtful and generous and grateful and merciful and compassionate. We have a gracious Redeemer. God is the epitome of God. Exodus 34, verse 6, God's describing himself to Moses. He said, I am compassionate and I am gracious. That's who he is. 
He's a gracious God, and so He gives grace. Grace comes from graciousness, which means this. Yes, Jesus redeemed you, and yes, Jesus redeemed me, but He's not doing it with His, hands, with his arms crossed, tapping His foot, impatient, like, come on, kid, would you grow up? I got you in the kingdom. Come on, would you, would you just hurry up and get, get over those, those strong those issues? And He's not redeeming you today like that. The kindness that was in his heart that allowed you to get saved in the first place is the same kindness that he feels towards you today. He's my gracious redeemer. My savior art thou. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. Those are good songs. With that in mind, would you read this together with me? It's in your notes. It's a tozerism. A.W. Tozer. God is easy. Just read this with me. God is easy to live with. It says this. Go ahead. Read it with me. How good it would be if we could learn that God is easy to live with. He remembers our frame and knows that we are dust. He may sometimes chasten us, it is true, but even this he does with a smile, the proud, tender smile of a father who is bursting with pleasure over an imperfect but promising son who is coming every day to look more and more like the one whose child he is. Some of us are religiously jumpy and self-conscious because we know that God sees our every thought and is acquainted with all of our ways. We need not be. God is the sum of all patience and the essence of kindly goodwill. We please Him most, not by frantically trying to make ourselves good, but by throwing ourselves into His arms with all our imperfections and believing that He understands everything and loves us still. That's the gracious Redeemer. That's the God who in His kindness has reached out to you. I, I look at my wife. I look at my kids. I look at my son-in-law. I look at, we've had three weddings in the last year, so I'm like, woo. It's been an amazing whirlwind, but a joyful one. You just celebrated your first anniversary, by the way. Yeah. Good stuff. But I look at my wife and my kids and my grandkids, and they're beautiful. I'm just going to tell you the honest truth, modest but honest. They're beautiful. They're smart. They're kind. They love God. I have a family. I wish they were all here because I could just show them to you. It'd be like, oh. I don't know how that happened apart from the grace of God. It's just an evidence of His grace to me. I look at who I am and where I am. At the minute, I'm my 28th year at Elam as the worship director there. And I've influenced thousands of people and students and around the world and this and that. And, but I know some of the stupid and foolish stuff I've done over the years too, some of the impulsive decisions I've made that should have uh, ended my life. And yet, I find myself with a family like this and with a ministry like this and I know it is the favor, and I know it is the love and the grace of God and the smile of God on my life. This grace stuff is not just theory. It's just I see it in my life every time, every single day. Now, get this thought straight in mind. Sometimes we think of God and His grace like we think of Bill Gates and his money. Now, both of them have a lot. God has a lot of grace, and Bill is, I think, still the richest man in the world. I'm not sure about that, but, um, but all that Bill could do 
is give us what he has. He's not going to do that. I wish he would, but he can't. All right. So, but all that Bill can do is reach into his pocket, as it were, and just give me that. But when God gives grace, he is not just giving you what he has. He's giving you himself. See, that's the thing we often don't get about the grace of God. The grace of God is not like, poof, there you have it, grace. If you have interacted and been contacted by the grace of God, you have been interacted with and contacted God himself. God gives you himself, and he by nature is gracious. And so when he steps into your life and into your situation and into your trial, himself, Bill, the money might come in, but the fact when God gives grace, he comes. He personally comes. That's the difference between the two. Actually, there's probably more difference between God and Bill, but I won't bring in that right now. I want to end with this. Do you, do you understand the fact that everything God did to bring you to himself, remember the day you got saved? Has it been a long time? Remember it? Some of you, like it was a, a distinct, sometimes it was just kind of a gradual, and you just found yourself in church and loving the Lord and not sure when or how it happened, but the fact is it happened. That's just as solid as a person who was radically, dramatically saved. Day one, you know, boom, and it started. Um, where was I going? Oh, everything that God did to bring you to himself, everything that he did to, you know, and the cross and the blood and the spirit of God and all that stuff, the reason he did that, that was not an end in itself. That was a means to an end. The end purpose that God had in mind when he saw your life before the world began when he gave you purpose and grace before the world began, the, the end thought he had in mind was that you would be with him forever. And he would be expressing to you through his kindness the grace and the love that he has in his heart. The salvation, all the stuff that you call your testimony, which is important, that was not the end. He didn't save you just to say, oh, good, there he is, saved. He did that in order to bring you into all that he has for you. And so in the ages to come, through his kindness, because of his kindness, by his grace, you're only getting started in God, no matter how old you are today. And I just have this sneaking suspicion that God is excited about the future with you. I think he's anxious for the fullness of time to come and all of that to happen, which I can't get into that now, of course. And let me end with this. In your notes, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. Right? John Newton said that, but all of us have sung it at one point and probably said, yeah, that's me. The dangers, the toils, the snares, all this stuff. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. I want you to see the grace of God finally as that which will finish what he started. He started a, a good work in you. He will never fail. He will finish the work. How's he started it by grace. Grace has brought me safe thus far. The grace of God is what's going to take you all the way home. Count on the grace of God being your companion through the end of your days. And count on the, the, the grace of God being overshadowing your life through eternity. You can't separate yourself from it. Peter says this, and it's my benediction to you. 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace. How do you do that? Well, you listen to some guy talking for 45 minutes about grace, bam, and that's one way. You take it in, you study it, you learn it, 
You sing about it, you listen. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him, to Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. I want you to stand together with me. I just want to sing a verse or two from Amazing Grace because to me, it is still amazing. And the more that I sing about it and think about it, I read it, I study it, I learn about the grace of God. You're ready to, to leave here, aren't you? Oh, yes, actually I am. I'm ready to go. But I want to say to you, the grace of God goes with you. And all the things I've said, seven pictures, I want you to see how precious you are to the Lord. And it's His kindness that swirls around, wraps you, picks you up, and will usher you to your next destination. Wherever your pilgrimage takes you, His grace will be there. Whatever trial you face, His grace will be there. Sing this with me. Amazing grace. Yeah. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. We're going to sing one more verse, but I want you to do something different. I want you to slide together and hold hands with the person beside you. Because we're not just singing as an entity by myself. We are joined together as the body of Christ. And we're saved not just into a little Jesus bubble where it's just you and Jesus or me and Jesus. We're saved into a body. Your members one of another. And we together have experienced and will continue to experience the grace of God. So just maybe we, around our table, we used to kind of like squeeze, and it would go around like a ripple effect, you know, squeeze. So you can go ahead and squeeze your neighbor's hand. But sing this with me, very simple. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God, 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 praise God. Amen. God bless you, Ben. Anything we need? Can I dismiss them? May the grace of the Lord Jesus rest upon you, be upon you all. Have a great day in God. Thanks so much. God bless.